Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Thank you for tuning in. We are uh, here, Carmen Nazario and my myself are here again for a weekly edition of our, our Founders uh, Veteran Podcast. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, if this is the first time, thank you. If it's your second time, as this is our second episode, welcome back. Uh, this week, we are, we are going to be interviewing Carmen last week. We, uh, Carmen interviewed me, and so we're going to turn the tables around, and, and I'm going to interview my co-host, Carmen, this week, and we're going to talk a little bit about what she's done in her past, and uh, including her military career, and uh, and just spending the hour getting to know her. So I'm really excited about this. Hopefully you are, too. Carmen, are you ready? I am ready, Josh. Great. I am super excited. So one of the things that I want to talk to you about is you, you, you have this amazing military career, and I want to kind of... I want you to start from there. I want you to start from where you began within your military career and, and sort of talk us through that transition uh, that you went through after you left the military. Okay. So um, my um, desire to go into a military really was, uh, it started off when I went into a post office in Puerto Rico. I'm from Puerto Rico, and I remember uh, I was in old San Juan with my mother, and I see this poster of a WAC, which was Woman in the Army Corps, and it said, travel the world. And that kind of just stood out. And I go, oh, wow, I would just love to do that. And at the time, I was at the University of Puerto Rico. And uh, I told my mother, Mom, I'm interested in going into the military. And she said, you know, I really want you to finish your first year of college. And after that, if you still want to go, I will let you go. And so when I joined the military, I went to the recruiter and I told him I wanted to... um, Uh, go into the area of computers. Now, this was early 70s. I didn't even know what computers were about. But I do remember, I did remember that my principal, I had a very visionary principal. I went to this all-girl Catholic private school, and she was an American nun. And the year we graduated, she brought in speakers to talk to us about different options um, for a study. And she brought some Somebody to talk to us about computer, and she said, "Computers is the wave of the future." So, just from that uh, clue of computers being the the wave of the future, I thought, "Well, I want to be part of that wave." And when I told my recruiter, um, they went ahead and uh, sent me to the computer uh, training, which was initially with um, operating equipment. So I joined the military in 1970. The, the Vietnam War was, uh, was still in full, in, in full course, and um, I was um, 
sent to, I went to Alabama for basic training, and then I went to Indiana for computer training, and then I was stationed in Georgia. And when I was in Georgia, I worked for the uh, adjutant general, and I used to work a lot with the guys going to Vietnam and coming back through Vietnam doing paperwork with them. And I didn't really quite start off in computers, but later I was uh, sent to the military police, police school, and they sent me to computer programming school. And um, during that time, um, it, it was a great school. I learned four different languages. So when I got out of the military, um, I... Um, I went to work as a computer programmer, and and then I went back to school as well. So um, nice. that, that kind of launched my career in computers, and really, I owe it to the military. So when you got out of the military, so let's let's be clear, this was the army, right? That you we're talking about the, when we're talking about the military right. branch that you were in, right. right? The army. So once you got once you got out of the army. Uh, talk a little bit about that transition. You 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 got this great training in, in computers within the military and the army specifically, and then uh, once you got out, talk a little bit about that transition to, that led you to thinking about what you wanted to do as not only just a career, but you're an entrepreneur, a seasoned entrepreneur. What talk a little bit about that path, getting from the military transitioning over to to being an entrepreneur. What was that path for you? Okay, I sh- I should kind of uh, jump back. In, in, into the while I was in the military, I had the opportunity to go to college at night, and so I already had one year of college. But while I was in the military, I completed a second year of college, and then I chose um, business administration. So when I got out, my goal was to continue my career. Uh, my brother, at the time, I was in Georgia. And my brother and sister were studying at the University of Portland in here in Portland, Oregon. And both of them convinced me, oh, you should come to this part of the country. It's just great here. And, of course, I had lived in other parts of the state as a little girl. We lived in the East Coast. So so I, I came over. I got out. In fact, we did this uh, cross-country trip. My brother and my sister came to Georgia, and we drove throughout the entire U.S., stopping in different strategic areas like um, uh, the um, New Orleans and um, the Grand Canyon. And um, and then we got to Portland, Oregon, and I wasn't a resident. So what I did was I went to work at a manufacturing company in Milwaukee, and they manufactured gift wrap. And while I was working during the day, I was taking some more uh, computer classes at the community college because back then they didn't even have computer science degrees. Uh, If you took computers, it was probably in the engineering program or math program. So once I was a resident, I went full-time to Portland State, finished my degree in business administration, and then after I graduated, I um, I worked, um, I got a job at Kaiser Permanente as a computer programmer. And so the transition, um, it, it was it was fairly easy because um, 
I had some experience and there wasn't a lot of people in the field. So I was able to get a job. And then when I was going to Portland State, I also worked in their computer department as a student programmer. And when I got out, um, I was pretty marketable, even though I really didn't have years of experience, but um, it, it worked out for me. Sure. So talk a little bit about your business. You, you've been doing this for a number of years. You guys are profitable. You guys have great revenue coming through. Where, where did this idea for, for your business come from? Like, what did, where did you, what problem were you trying to solve when you, when you created your business? Okay, so, um, so going back to um, uh, Kaiser Permanente, which was my first after-college job, um, after that, I, I got married, had kids, became a homemaker. But then I went back to the workforce and worked for Portland State, and um, I later ended up um, having uh, to be a single mom with my kids. And so I was um, able to get a job as a consultant. And I worked uh, for various consulting companies. Um, during that period of time, um, I felt like um, I had worked for some companies that didn't take care of you as a employee and didn't really take good care of the customer as well. And I kind of had this thought, you know, I could, I could do this, I could do a company and I will do it better for than the people I'm working for. But I kind of just put that in a journal. I had written that in my journal and it was really a while before I you know, grounded, rounded up all the courage to quit my job and launch my company. And so, so at first it was a dream. And I think it took me like 10 years before I actually, uh, decided I'm going to incorporate, and I went ahead and incorporated, did all my research uh, for about a year, and then um, I finally, it took a year and a half for me to get my first contract after I incorporated, but I was working, and my first customer was Fred Meyer, um, and so I was... Very- that's, that's, not a bad, uh, that's not a bad customer. No, it was. I actually was working with them first as a consultant, but I had, and they wanted me to uh, come. Uh, I was actually working for a company in Vancouver, and Bud had worked for Fred Meyer as a consultant, and one of the managers wanted me to come assist them with this major conversion. And I, um, I said, I'm going to do it, but I just want you to know that I'm going to be starting my own company. And, and so I went to work temporarily for this other consulting company. And then it, it was not easy because the people in charge of the vendors, they did not want to even give me an appointment. But um, uh, it turned out that I ended up working on some very high-profile projects and feedback got back to a vice president uh, who was in charge of uh, the IT section. And it was one of those incidents where I was at the right time at the right place, and I was able to launch my company with them. And then I... Great. So talk a little... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, go go ahead. You go ahead, Josh. 
Yeah, yeah. So I was, I, mean, what, I don't mean to interrupt you, but what I'm really intrigued about is you know, you, the, the problem you're solving here seems like a big one. And I wanted to figure out, you know, a lot of listeners for our podcast are probably thinking about what they want to build on their own and, and hoping to glean off the experience that we have as entrepreneurs. Uh, you and I have both done companies to figure out, you know, what those early steps are for, for, for us as founders and, and how we identified the problem to be solved and, and why we were the right team to solve it, right? So I would love to hear more about the, well, where, how you identified that problem and why you were the right person to solve it. Because again, you know, I don't think our listeners quite understand. You are what I would consider a pretty successful entrepreneur, and, and I would love to hear more about how, how you identified those problems and, and, uh, and work to grow your business. Right. Well, um, there, um, so first of all, when I was thinking about my business, I mean, I really did a lot of research and I really understood that, you know, you really have to address business. And in my space, which was IT, I needed to look at it from a global perspective. So I decided I was going to name my company Elyon International because I wanted to be able to do eventually international work, which we have. And... Um, that was my vision, that we would become a respected world leader doing international. And I'm still in international work, and I'm really in that journey right now. I'm, I'm not there, and I don't think you never arrive. And so, so I crafted, I remember crafting my vision statement, my mission statement. I spent a lot of time doing that, and this was even before I launched... Uh, I had my first contract. So I was doing all of the steps uh, to really get uh, structured correctly, going to finding a CPA, uh, making sure I talked to good lawyers. I used uh, score.org a lot. They have retired. That's a great organization funded in part by the federal government, and they collaborate with the Small Business Administration. I used their resources. I remember meeting with a, a retired executive, and I told him I really need advice in terms of um, uh, legal legal structure. And he said, you want to go to the best lawyers in Vancouver, and he, he did that for me. So I felt that I, I took the right steps to do the business correctly. And that's really important because I've seen other businesses and they sort of skip steps. Like, for instance, they never set up an accounting system until they're way into it. And then they got to do a backlog of work in terms of accounting. Um, and and I had some experience, actually, because I, I used to prepare uh, taxes. So at one point in my life, I did um, taxes, and I was a tax preparer, so that sort of helped in terms of being able to use those skills to understand my tax requirements with the state and filing sure. requirements and things like that. But my vision was always to to be able to solve complicated problems for customers, and it still is, and and so um, and to engage top talent, and and then compensate them properly, 
and help them grow into who they wanted to be as professionals. So when you have that recipe of trying to bring the best talent and uh, treating them good and then treating your customer good, that really is the secret sauce, if you want to call it, uh, but the formula for success, the recipe for success. And so it was very, very slow growth to start with. And did you come into this with a co-founder, or is this just you, and you sort of solved a problem with one customer and then grew it from there? Exactly. Uh, I just came as myself. There was no investors. I didn't have a lot of money. I think even at the time, I probably had under $10,000. And I was the employee of the corporation. And so I did that for a year, and then I realized I'll never be able to market if if I'm doing the work. And so at that point, um, it was time to renew my contract with uh, Fred Myers. I was still working with them. And I remember telling my manager, you know, I'm just going to step out. I'm not going to renew my contract. I feel that I need to just quit so that I can give my full attention to growing my company. And to be honest with you, things got worse before they got better. So talk a little bit about that. You know, a lot of the things that we talk about as entrepreneurs is really the the glamorous part, right? It's it's great. It's a you know, I used to joke with my friends and family who hadn't seen me in a while. Uh, they would go, Josh, how you doing? And I'd be like, Yeah, living the dream, man. Uh, but there's this like these ebbs and flows that happen with businesses, right? Talk a little bit about that. What were the what were some of the downfalls that you that you encountered, or some of the hiccups that you encountered, and how did you overcome those? Right. Well, the first hiccup was that I ran out of money. And so I I was not about to give up. And I was, you know, I still had my youngest son in high school. Uh, I didn't have unemployment. I didn't have child support. And I just did not want to give up. So I sold my car. <laughs> and I decided my mother, wow. my mother loaned me her car. She was, uh, my sister lived in Guatemala, and she had gone for a month to go see my sister. And I sold my car. And I just remember, um, I remember this one day, I just really... Uh, decided I'm going to go pray because I've done everything I could. But after that day, the following day, I get this call out of the blue. And this is like a total miracle because years before I had worked for Portland schools and they called me. It was, they were doing a Y2K project and one of their managers had a heart attack. And somebody said, hey, I heard Carmen started a business and maybe she can come help us. So I go to Portland schools and they give me a contract on the spot for $85,000. I mean, here I was on in the pit the day before. And so I, wow. got, a, I got a couple of friends of mine from Fred Meyer and and the neat thing about it was they wanted me to work at night. Um, and so I had two friends. One was a Filipino and another one a Vietnamese. And I called them and I said, would you guys like to do extra work for, you know, in the evening? 
And they said yes, and they go, Carmen, we know you. You can pay us when you get paid. And then from there, uh, that's how I started growing. These two guys came to help me on this Y2K project. I was working on it as well in the evening, which gave me, allowed me time during the day to, you know, continue marketing my company. And then out of that, we had a follow-up contract for 425000 We were doing so good, and there was they sold sources to us because nobody in town had this computer called. It was a French computer called the Bull, but it was equivalent to the IBM. And so what <laughs> I thought... Great. I love it. And, and let me tell you something interesting about that, because what I thought was a setback way back when, when I was trying one time to get a job and I didn't have IBM experience, it became a blessing later because because of having that bull experience, I, I got five, uh, half a million dollars in contract work. And so it became a setup, you know, instead of a setback. So uh, well, what's, what's, what's amazing about that is that you took a sort of the something that was probably uh, used by the military, this cumbersome, uh, antiquated system, and used it to your advantage, which is amazing. Uh, and, I, and I love the story that, you know, unfortunately something bad happened, but it ended up being a great opportunity for you that led to long-term success uh, with, with a certain client. Talk a little bit about the next step. Like, you, you're already got, you've got a couple of great customers, especially in the government sector. Um, how did you figure out who your persona, your your customer persona, is going was going to be? Because I think uh, one of the other mistakes that I see a lot of entrepreneurs make is they they don't know who their customer is going to be at the outset, and so they spend a lot of time trying to figure that out and spending a lot of cycles unnecessarily trying to figure that out. You sort of happened upon it almost accidentally, but talk a little bit about how you you identified that as you grew your business. Right. So I I knew my target customer was going to be Fortune 500 customers or the federal government or state government. But I really started out in in the private sector. It took me a while before I got into the uh, government sector. But one of the things I did do is I contacted people I knew in the industry. For example, I got work as a subcontractor to a major company because I knew, and this was at Bonneville Power, They, the Bonneville Power, I had some friends and I kind of contacted her and and she connected me with her program manager for uh, a company, uh, actually they're still in existence, SAIC. And so sometimes, you know, even if you can't generate work directly, it's really important, I feel, as entrepreneurs to u- utilize every venue you have, your whole network of folks that you know, because even th- even the work at uh Portland Public Schools, um, I think about six months before that, I had gone to lunch with this friend of mine, and I told her, yeah, I, I started a company. And when they had a need, she was able to tell her manager, I heard Carmen started a company, and that led me to that big contract in my desperate time of need. And so you just never know. So to me, what I've yeah. seen through the years is networking is vital. And it's not only vital, but it's 
fun and interesting. And I'm a people's kind of person, so I just love the whole network scenario of networking uh, with your business. But uh, yeah, no, it's a it's a great uh, it's definitely a great lesson to learn, right? Like, but you know, your first customers may just come from people that you know within your network, um, and and trying to identify problems within your network is a, is a is a really good way, sort of a beachhead for your business. So so here we are. We've got a couple customers. You're getting a, a bit of revenue. How did you start to think about how you were going to scale this business up? Because now. You, you thought from the outset that you guys were going to be an international company, but you're sort of just still operating at a small scale. What was that sort of discussion that you had, not only with yourself, but with your team, about how you were going to take this great idea that has a small amount of traction and expand it out beyond that? Right. And at that time, really, it was just me. The team would be – because the employees – were working at the customer site. So I was the team. I was the proposal writer. I was a marketing person. I was the HR. And there was a point in time that I decided I need to hire somebody and start training them to do the operational stuff like invoicing. And my CPA was doing my payroll. But it was little baby steps, if you want to call it that way. And I'm glad it happened that way because... It's really a learning process, you know, and the little baby steps took me later to bigger steps. And I remember, and and you do make some mistakes, you know. I made a, I really tried hard to find a business development person, and I had a friend who worked for a company, and his job uh, was moved to a different state, and he thought, hey, I'd like to he used to be a database administrator. I had worked with him at Fred Meyer. And what happened at the time, the Kroger company bought Fred Meyer and moved a lot of the jobs to Cincinnati. And so as a result of that, I lost my local work. But then later I marketed to Kroger and I did get work in Cincinnati and Ohio. Um, and so that's part of the, the Fred Meyer story. But I remember this friend came and... I trained him for a year, and he wanted to do this, but it it didn't work out. And so he, in other words, um, it, he realized he probably wasn't the best person to do sales and do business development, and so he decided he, he would do something else. So then I hired consultants to help me market, and that didn't work either. And it really took me a long time to find the right person to assist me doing business development because once you've grown, you just cannot do everything. But in the interim, I had hired somebody to come help me and she'd come work twice a week and that grew into a 40-hour job for her and now she is an executive administrator of our company, okay, moving. She's been with me now 15 years. So it's all been uh, step-by-step processes and um, yeah, we've We've been in business for 21 years, and we've uh, really, in the past five years is when, uh, I would say from 2008 till now is when I really, 
um, started growing. And that was also, too, because when I started my company, I couldn't get a loan. You know, you, you can't get a business loan. you got to operate out of your cash flow. So that's a, another challenge for small business owners, and I didn't really have investors. So I had to wait till I was in a position uh, to do uh, a small business loan through the SBA uh, because you, you need cash flow to be able to hire people and yeah. not only uh, people that are going to work for you at the customer side, but internally. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you touched on a financial point, and, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about it, but you, earlier you talked a little bit about people and bringing in the right people for your business and kind of letting that process flush out and you found good people, you found bad people. And I think as entrepreneurs, one of the most challenging things I've run into it as well is finding the right people that will come in, have the same amount of passion that you have, the same amount of dedication you have for your business, and also have the right motivation behind making sure that you're growing the business the right way. Talk a little bit about the process that you went through finding the good folks versus the bad folks and 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 your thought process around how you brought people into your business and and the decision you came up to uh, that led to letting people go. Like, ha- Talk a little bit about that. Okay. So I really never had to let anybody go unless a contract ended. Um, or the customer, we've only had maybe two times that a customer says, um, okay, we want this person. They were a consultant. We need them replaced or we don't want them. So the the process of hiring people, so initially it was just me and my administrative assistant, and then later um, I got a recruiter, uh, and then later I hired um, people um, to assist me with, proposal writing. But the recruiting process is really, our model of business is primarily um, a model where our cus- we, we have customers and we send consultants to help the customers, and depending on what the requirement is. So for hiring, during the hiring process, um, I can say that I've been uh, very fortunate to have very top-notch people work for me who have represented our company very well. But, it, you know, I really would screen them. I would screen them and kind of, I would always ask them, tell me what you're looking for, tell me what your ideal job description is. And I would do the reference checking, uh, and I'd always want to check their references of, of people they worked for, not not necessarily friends. And um, I've had a great success in that area. So the re- uh, doing recruiting and sourcing and understanding that process um, is is vital because if you don't do that well, then you're not going to have good people representing you. Compensating your people appropriately is really important. I mean, I've done it to the point where I remember I had this guy, I would always ask them, well, what are you looking for? Now, if I had a ceiling rate from my customer 
um, I, you know, if and they ask for too much, I'd let them know. But I remember having a few incidents where people were lowballing it, and I said, you know what, I can pay you more than that. And you know, I wanted to have a decent margin, but I, I wanted to also be able to pay them uh, appropriately and competitively. So that's one of my um, important values in in trying to attract people. And um, I love it. Yeah, and I've had. Uh, I think that because because of that you you build quality relationship because then they recommend people to you and so uh yeah. those those relationships have brought even results that i didn't expect you know so that's amazing yeah i love that story um so we talk again we were talking a little bit about your financials and and sort of the the model when you started your business there wasn't the things that are open to entrepreneurs today right entrepreneurs today have a wealth of different resources they have available to them to fund their business, whether it's an SBA loan or whether it's VC funding or whether it's some other outlet, crowdfunding or an ICO or whatever the, the latest craze is. There's a lot of different outlets for these entrepreneurs to glean off of to get their competitive advantage. So I want to talk a little bit about you didn't really have access to that, I, I think for a couple of reasons. One, it was clear that your model was a service model, right? You weren't doing a product piece to it. Um, talk a little bit about the struggles therein that you ran into about you, know, you, you got lucky early on, but, but what was some of the things that helped you get through some of those tough times as you were growing and scaling the business and, and knowing that you didn't really have a lot of uh, backup or, or follow-through follow funding that you could fall on um, to, to keep your growing your business until you got to a point where you could? Right. Well, I uh, I did take advantage of SBA programs. So I did certify my company as an 8A and I did take their training. And what I was basically looking for is to narrow down my competition, look for opportunities that were sort of like low-hanging fruit. And by that I mean, let's say, uh, the the federal government has set asides for small business, and nowadays they have set asides for uh, service disabled veterans. They have set asides for women entrepreneurs, for um, minorities and disadvantaged businesses. But within those set asides, you still have to compete. But it really narrows down the competition pool. So. I did a lot of training with the SBA and again with SCORE and I used to go to all kinds of, of events where you meet people and out of word of mouth I I think um, I got a couple of opportunities out of that as well and during those early years too partnerships uh, worked as well I remember partnering with a larger company and at one point, they were my sub, and at a different time, I was their sub. Actually, it was a Filipino outsourcing company, and they had work at um, Delta Airlines, and I was their sub at Delta Airlines. And uh, on another occasion, I, I had an opportunity to do a project for Microsoft, and Microsoft was going to send it to India, but... We convinced, <laughs> at the time I had met this uh, program manager from the government sector of, of 
of Microsoft, and I met him in Washington, D.C. I used to fly all over the country, and I don't know how I even did that because I was barely breaking even um, back then. But out of that, I was able to generate um, just a lot of uh, new contacts and relationships. Microsoft gave us an opportunity to present, and, and we got this little little project in the sense it was oh, like five months, and we did part of it here by way of doing the project management, and the actual coding um, was done in the Philippines. But that was kind of like a feather in my cap to have Microsoft as one of my customers. And that was 206. I was still pretty early on in my um, in terms of my business. It was still small, quite small compared to today. And but it really was a very successful project, and I uh, generated good past performance because in my line of business, what's going to move you forward to your next client is your past performance with your existing and previous clients, and actually the federal government tracks that. So with the government, with our government work, they rate us, and there's this site where they publish your ratings in terms of a vendor, and so performance is is always you know very important. And, and that's where we want to make sure that we do the best service possible in, in, in a quality manner. That's great. And so how many employees do you guys have today? We have about, it, it fluctuates, but lately it's, it's between 125 to 130, and we're working in seven states. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's it, you know fluctuates in, in the sense that contracts start and end, but we're we're growing. Yeah, no, that's that's great. So you know, it's 2018, and a lot of businesses they use social media to, to get the word out about their services. Uh, when you started, it wasn't really there wasn't a channel like Twitter or Facebook or Instagram to really glean off and get more uh, to get more customers inbound to use as a, as a channel, but now you have that. And how much has that helped or hurt or how do you utilize social media in your business today? Well, uh, we honestly haven't used too much social media. And what's funny is that when I started my company, I mean, the internet was just being launched. I mean, they didn't even have I didn't even have a website for a couple of years because I incorporated in 1995 and I launched in 97. So I remember one time talking to Nike at an event and they uh, they asked me, do you have a website? And, and I said, I do. And it was so organic. I mean, it was just like, but because I had a website, they, they allowed me to talk to them and gave me a meeting. So today we, we really haven't used social media a lot in the sense that, um, and we're looking at that right now. We're, we're just um, sure. marketing um, based on, we have to do a lot of proposals, uh, write proposals for the federal government. So it's a little bit of a sure. different model. But but I do think social media is important and vital. And, and we're going to take a look at how to, how to benefit from that a little closer. That's one that's on my to do list. 
So one of the things that I love to do is sort of Monday morning quarterback some of the decisions, decisions I've made over my track record of being an entrepreneur. Maybe it's a bad decision I made or maybe it's something that uh, had gone wrong in my business that I wish I had done, wrong, but done better. Um, what are some of the things that you've learned over the years that you can impart on our listeners that are missteps that they can avoid today that you've already made? Mm, um. I have to think about that. I mean, and it could be something simple as, you know, we, we hired the wrong person or we had a bad customer or I you know, wish we would have banked 25000 more to get us through this next quarter. I mean, what are some of the things that you've gone through that you think uh, the listeners that are just starting to think about building their business or maybe they are, you know, in the throes of, of a business that, that they can take some sort of lesson out of some of the things that, that you have uh, that you have gone through in your journey. Oh, okay, yeah. So I would say, um, you know, there's been some uh, partner companies that were not, they were not in it for the best interests of both of us. So a lot of times there's opportunities that you can partner with another small business, and um, so I made a few mistakes in that area. Um, Another area that I just kind of thought about was years ago, The if you're doing federal contracting, the big federal um, vendors have to have small business components. And actually, I had been approached by several of them because they go, oh, you're, you're a minority, you're a woman, you're a veteran, and we want to use that, um, your, your certifications, we're going to put you on our uh, proposal as one of our subcontractors. I didn't negotiate that correctly because I would give out all my information, but I wouldn't get... I, I remember a couple instances where I didn't have them tell me how much business they were going to give me. In other words, they verbally tell you, yeah, we're going to give you some business, but it was not on paper. And then when they did get the award, they didn't give us anything. So they use our credentials to to for their benefit, but then they didn't really give me work. And so that's because... I probably should have had them lay that out on paper saying, okay, we're going to give you at least 10% of, of our contract or whatever percentage that was. So that's one mistake I've made. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what's next for your business? You guys are 100-some-odd employees now. You're growing really well. It's at a steady pace. Where do you see your business being in the next 5 to 10 years? I mean... But the, the interesting thing to me is that you guys are a technology firm uh, in a very specific space. Uh, and what, what other technologies are you using to take your, your company to the next step? And what, what's the future hold for you? Oh, there's, there's all kinds of possibilities. In fact, um, I often think about, okay, where do I want to focus? So I feel it's really important to focus. You just can't be all over the place. And I, um, I know we've had internal meetings where we've decided where do we want to go. And so there are a couple of areas that we're sort of developing right now. Because technology companies, it, it's, it's quite challenging. And the challenge is to stay relevant, to stay relevant to the customer's needs. So you really have to understand what, 
what are the customer's challenges so you can position yourself ahead of time and talk to them. So I feel for us, we'll probably continue growing. Uh, We experienced tremendous growth within the past three years and just this these first this first quarter in this year we're we're already experiencing growth so we're trying to draw the right people to assist us with that growth and i feel that technology is just like an area where you can just go in so many different directions but you do have to stay relevant and on top of it and bring the right expertise I'm not the expert anymore so I have to bring in talent that are the experts and it's it's sort of like a fun challenge you know I think about that at night so I believe we're going to be a global company that was my dream and I actually want to take you back to a little story in my childhood uh, because it's relevant to to my company when I was about five years old we lived in New Jersey in Jersey City New Jersey and my father would come every Friday it was allowance day for us but it was payday for him but my father loved um he was like a a walking encyclopedia and he used to have the standing globe that would spin in our houses we he always had globes but he taught us at that age he taught us okay if i tell you a country i want you to spin the globe and find it and you will get a quarter and you can imagine uh, a quarter back then for us it was a, a big deal i mean you could buy a car you know with this quarter but anyhow um we we did that and when i forward the other day i had sort of like an epiphany in the sense that I thought about that, and I thought that how when I went to design my first logo, I told a designer, I want a globe for my company. And I've gone through three iterations, and the one I have right now, we've trademarked because I really like it. But but I had an epiphany in the sense that I, I thought about my father and that globe. And then the other aspect of it was that um, my father... He was in the newspaper business, and his father founded the newspaper in Puerto Rico with another partner, and they name the newspaper El Mundo. El Mundo, in Spanish, it, it, it means, um, in English, it means the world, and the newspaper had a globe on it, and so um, then I thought about when I joined the military, and I wanted to travel the world. So somehow in my subconscious, I I felt the other day when I was thinking about this that there was something to those times when my father was teaching us about the world, and and then later the newspaper, um, the influence of the newspaper, to the point that I chose to have a globe on my company. And so um, it's almost like your subconscious mind, you know, there's things from early on that help me to make these decisions today to the decision to have a worldwide company. Yeah, I thought I thought you'd enjoy that story. No, that's that's great. So uh, for those, uh, we've been talking to Carmen Nazario. She's my wonderful co-host and also 
the uh, president of Elyon uh, International in Vancouver, Washington. We've been talking about her journey, and, and one of the things that I want to um, just kind of talk as we close out, I know we're getting close to the end of the hour, um, I want to talk a little bit, as you're an IT company, we, we really didn't talk a little bit about your competition. You know, Amazon's coming out there, and they're eating up the world with their virtual servers. You've got Microsoft joining in, in doing Azure and, and the Google Cloud. How do you compete with that? How... What's your differentiator when you're going to customers that are looking at going to the cloud? How do you think about that as a defensible position? Well, the way I think about it is we can do what they're doing, perhaps on a smaller scale, and we can do it uh, with, with a great service delivery model. I don't see myself as they're better and I'm not as good. We can also partner with them. In fact, they they actually uh, provide uh, subcontracting opportunities. We actually presented at Microsoft um, last year. And because of that presentation, I'll believe, I believe we'll be working with them this year. So that's one of our areas of growth. And um, I... I am certified through um, this national organization called the Minority uh, Business Council, and that has given me access to corporate America. So we're looking to work with them, and actually they have been instrumental in, in terms of uh, I've, I've attended some of the events where they kind of share their pain points, and so that is... Uh, those have been good opportunities for us to work out new service models. But um, I, I, uh, I, at this point, maybe not during my early start, I feel that we can compete with them, we can help them out. And um, because many of those giant companies, they hire consulting people for, for uh, projects. One of our major customers is the Boeing company. And, you know, people don't always have the expertise they need and they can't just send people out to train. And so, and they have different challenges going on all the time, different projects and at different time points they need to, they have consulting companies assist them with their challenges and, and, and their new requirements. So, um, yeah, um, go ahead. Yeah. I love the, I love the, uh, no, I just was going to say, I love the sort of mentality of don't look at them as a competitor, look look at them as a partner, a potential partner. And you certainly, figured that model out. Uh, what do you think are some of the other blind spots in your business that you are worried about? Like, you know, what's, what's the biggest worry that you have about your business that is, um, that keeps you up at night? Like what's, what's that big fear that you have that, that, uh, that you're not sure you'll be able to go get over the hump or, or not overcome? Right. Well, I wouldn't say fear because I don't want to have fear because fear paralyzes you. Um, I certainly, I think I shared a little bit earlier that my biggest concern is always to stay relevant because, you know, the world keeps sure. changing and I feel my goal is to provide solutions to those changes and those challenges. So that would be probably my major challenge Um and, you know, we talk about it in, in the company, but it's, it's certainly not a fear. Um, I, 
I, at this point, you know, I had a lot of fears when I started and I overcame them. But at this point, after 21 years, I feel that um, I'm on the uh, fearless course. Yeah. <laughs> you've done a lot in the community as well. You've been named, uh, you know, the diversity supplier. You've done things within the community. How important is you, is it for you and your company to develop a plan around your community? And I, I know we're, we're talking about this at a micro level, being sort of Pacific Northwest focused, but um, other folks are probably struggling to figure out how they help their community as part of their strategy and their business idea. You, can, you have seemed to figure that piece out. And I'm wondering, was that by design? Was it, we, we always trying to figure out how to be part of the community as it relates to being a business owner? Or was this just something that you fell into? Um, both. Even like being co-host with you, I fell into it. But it really was a result of my involvement with the community and my involvement mentoring veteran-owned businesses. Um, I feel, I mean, that's where uh, I feel I'm highly rewarded by way of investing in other people. It's just such a great feeling. Even right now, we're investors in a new company. He's a minority business owner, also veteran. But I'm an angel investor in his company, and we're starting to see the fruit. We developed his software, and it just did beta testing, and now we're launching with some customers. So I want to be in a position to help somebody else along. I want to be their cheerleader and be able to share um, uh, what I've learned. Uh, you know, I just, you, you go through as a business owner, just to keep with it, there was moments where, you know, I, I actually never thought of giving up, but I know that there's a lot of other people that feel that way. And I would want to encourage them, don't give up yet uh, if if they have uh, this dream. But it's really all driven by your passion, I think. I think passion is what's going to measure your success. And so, um, you know, it, it's just part of your DNA. And I want to be in a position of always being available to other people and helping them make their dreams come true. I love it. I love it. And I'm sure a lot of ears perked up when they heard that you're investing in companies. So I'm sure your LinkedIn's going to get uh, very busy now. But uh, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to leave, we have a few minutes left. I wanted to leave some time to, to uh, tell people where they can find your business. Uh, what's, what's the website, first and foremost? Okay, it's uh, www.elyoninternational.com. So it's a, a long name, but um, just type E-L-Y-O-N and international. Nice. And so you said uh, you're, you're, you have plans of going international. Uh, have, you, have you guys started doing that yet, 20 years in? I don't think we talked about that piece. Um, yeah, so we did the Microsoft project in 206, and part of the work was international. And then the software that we're developing, I engaged um, a company in the Philippines as well to help us. And and um, there there's another project we did with an international yeah. company a few years That's ago. Awesome. So those are just little starts, but uh, you just can't yeah. uh, despise small beginnings, you know. 
It's it's uh, little, yeah. little baby steps take you to, you know, giant steps. Yeah. No, it's been, uh, this has been great. I'm, it's very helpful to understand your journey. And I think it's been, uh, I, I think a lot of our entrepreneurs are, are still trying to figure out their journey. And hopefully they've been able to hear more about uh, you and, and see that there's hope. I love it. I just love the aspect of, of the bootstrapping and, and how you were able to grow the business from, from, from nothing to, to where it is today. I, I, I tell a lot of entrepreneurs today who ask me whether or not they should take money. And, and I'm, I'm over the school. I, I've done both. I've done bootstrap business. And I've, I've taken investment from, from VCs. I, I'm now of the schooling that, you know, try to bootstrap as long as you possibly can. Of course, infused money helps you grow fast, but you also kind of, lose control of your business if you take that route in, in the VC world. But uh, I love the aspect that you've taken uh, uh, to be able to grow the business in a bootstrap way. It's amazing. And, and Thank I appreciate you, your time. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, I appreciate been, Yeah. I appreciate uh, all the questions you've asked as well. This has been great. So uh, I'm not sure who our guest is next week. I'm sure we'll, we'll figure that out shortly. But, uh, but we'll be here next week, Carmen and I hopefully interviewing somebody, and uh, and we'll see you, everybody, next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Great. Look forward to next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.